My dear friends, good morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome to our C2 service, our emerging worship here at Community Church, where by the grace of God, all are welcome, all are affirmed, and all are loved. Thank you for coming out this morning. I know it was a very, very nice morning to kind of stay under the covers and and be snuggly, so I appreciate you coming out. Uh, I promise it will be worth your while as we will be praising and rejoicing with God this morning, and hopefully you will leave in an elevated way. Uh, it is the Lenten season. Uh, it is our first Sunday of Lent, so we're going to be talking a little bit about our Lenten journeys today in our service and hearing a little bit about that. And we're also going to be talking a little bit about putting feet to our faith and making sure that we remain committed uh, to what is God is calling us to be and who God is, is calling us to be uh, through this Lenten journey as we have a heightened sense of, of our reflection and the journey of being in the way of God. Here at our Emerging Worship Service, you can worship any way you like when we have our music. If you would like to stand, if you would like to dance, if you would like to sing, if you are more comfortable just sitting and enjoying uh, the music that way, uh, however you are called to worship is exactly how God wants you to worship. And we will start this morning with our musical call to worship. Uh, I do invite whoever is willing and able, if you would like to stand, uh, let us stand and rejoice together uh, with our first song, Everlasting God.
We are making our own sunshine in here. Friends, please be seated. I do want to uh, thank you all. As some of you may have noticed, I do have a sling on, and so I thought I would give you a little update because so many folks have uh, been so gracious to ask and share their prayers and their thoughts and concerns. I do have a uh, kind of a deteriorating shoulder joint, and it's getting to the point where it's causing me a lot of discomfort, so uh, ultimately I'm going to have to get some surgery a little bit down the road here, and everything will be just fine, um, nothing traumatic, uh, just just kind of wear and tear on this old body, I guess. <laughs> but I do thank you for all, the, all your thoughts and your prayers, and, and everything should be A-OK uh, with the help of a little bit of modern medicine. Would you join me in a moment of prayer, friends? Gracious and loving God, as we begin this Lenten journey together, uh, we ask that you grab our hands so that you may lead us uh, to the path of where you want us to be at the end of this journey. Uh, We ask, Lord, that you continue to remind us uh, that as a people in covenant with you, that the resurrection is not just one day that we celebrate at the end of the journey, but it is uh, possible for us to be resurrected in your way all the time, every single minute of every single day, as long as we are faithful in the ask to be in that way. We ask that you allow us to look after each other, to stand by each other during this journey, so that we can support each other in finding the righteous path. In your name we pray. Amen. As we continue our prayer with music this morning, this song is just a little reminder of how truly important it is for us to stand by each other as we are walking down this path together. In addition to what Pastor said, I believe that if you look down the hall and you dig a little bit deeper, you'll see that the Bible and all the words of God and Christ, Christ in God, are basically a love letter to us. I'd like to think that Benny King, in my eyes, wrote one back to God. Like this. When the night is come and the land is dark and the moon is the only light you'll see. No, I won't be afraid. Oh, I won't be afraid. Just as long. You stand, stand by me. So darling, darling, stand by me. Oh, stand by me. Oh, stand. Stand by me. Stand by me. In the sky that we look upon.
there is truly one thing that nobody, I mean nobody can argue about this congregation is the way that it stands by each other. And that is such a blessing in the eyes of the Lord. Let us take a moment, friends, to stand up, to pass the joy and peace of Christ with each other, to greet each other, and just to let each other know that we are there for them. May the peace of Christ be with you. Oh, it is a joyful morning indeed, friends. Um, I will remind you that everything that we have going on in the church upcoming is always in our bulletin here. Um, as I mention every week, Rachel does an incredible job of putting this together and making really beautiful slides and trying to get all the information out. Um, so I, I uh, would ask you to take a moment to take a look at that. Bring it home if you would. Uh, put it somewhere that you can refer back to it so you always know what's going on. Uh, if you would like to support any of the missions or the programs that are going on in here in this incredibly special place, we do have generosity baskets by the door. Uh, if you would like to visit those and support any of the missions as you see fit, please feel free to do that. Also by the door, we have information cards. So if you're visiting us here this morning or you uh, are, are a member and you might need a little bit of extra prayer or to talk to a call to care minister, any information that you want to share with us, we would love to have so that we can help to get to know you better. I will lift up a couple things. Um, we do have Jazz Vespers this evening. It will probably be in, in here in Community Hall uh, due to the weather, uh, but it's a beautiful, beautiful worship service that we have here uh, with some beautiful jazz music. Uh, we also have our golf fundraiser next Saturday. Today is the last day to sign up, and we, we are short golfers, so we could really use some extra golfers. If you would just like to support or donate the event to the event, you can do that as well. If you are having trouble getting on the website or the new platform, just please, after service today, go see Charlene. She will take care of you and do anything uh, that you need to get uh, be a part of that event. It's a very, very, very big fundraiser for our youth mission trips. And I also would like to lift up today uh, Pete Chinilla, who is not in worship here today, uh, but he is celebrating his 80th birthday today. And I would ask that you keep him in your thoughts and your prayers um, as, as, as uh, he celebrates his birthday and as he is going through some other things, he could really use some of our support and prayers. But I just wanted to lift that up because that's a pretty, pretty special, uh, special thing. In our scripture, we're continuing along the teachings of Jesus. We're continuing in the book of Mark. And as we start our Lenten journey, uh, things are starting to get a little bit more anxious. And, and as I read the scriptures, I'm starting to feel like Jesus is still having a little bit of trouble getting his message across, even to his own best friends who are with him all of the time. And he's, he's trying really hard to help them to understand. And in this scripture, I feel like they're getting a little bit distracted uh, as they often do, and they're kind of getting a little bit off uh, course. And in this passage, Jesus is doing the best he can to try to get them back on course so that they can understand uh, what it really, really means uh, to live in the way, as you will hear Jesus also knows that his time here on earth is coming uh, close to an end. So there's a little bit of a sense of urgency uh, as we are getting through these chapters of Mark, let us hear the word of the Lord for today. 
They went on from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? As they were going along, his disciples were trying to actually talk about, like, who was the coolest and who's the best and who's the best follower of Jesus. And he's asking them, what were you guys uh, talking about? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and the servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, whomever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I added to my preparation this week, fasting, fasting. I normally am engaged, obviously, in a great deal of study. I'm engaged in prayer when thinking about a message to share with the congregation on a Sunday morning or any other time, realizing this is not a lecture, this is not a speech, this is a sermon. So a lot of prayer goes into the preparation for a message, usually a lot of dialogue. I ask several people, what do, you, what do you think about this part of the passage? Or what do you think about, the, this, this part is trouble, troubling me, I'm not sure about this part. And of course, Valerie gets it to no end. What do you think about this point? How do you think this will land? What, what do you think? But this week I added fasting to my preparation, but I have to confess it wasn't a spiritual practice. It was because if I didn't fast this week, I couldn't fit into this particular suit. <laughs> this suit is now going on 24 years old. I had a sense that I might be called into ministry within the local church. Of course, all of us are called into ministry. Some of us are called into ministry in the local church. But whatever we do is an expression. We are all professionals, profess. Whatever it is that we do is a profession of what we believe. We're all called to ministry. But I had a sense that it may be the case that I was being called into local church ministry. And the way I discovered that I just might be came at an unexpected time. I was working full-time at a residential treatment center for special needs kids. And I was also going to school full-time. I was finishing up my undergraduate degree and I was taking more than a full load so that I could graduate on time and because of my hectic schedule it wasn't that rare that I would have to go to a professor and ask for an extension on a paper. So on one particular day I was going to my philosophy professor's office and I was going to ask him for an extension on a paper. And when I arrived, I was a little bit nervous to ask because I think I'd already asked once or twice that semester. 
But it was during that conversation that I discovered he was a Baptist minister and that he was serving a United Methodist Church. And they were in need of a youth minister. And there was something, I, I, honestly, I don't know what it was, but there was something about our interactions in class that he thought maybe I might be a good fit to serve as a youth minister. So I went through the process and met with the search committee and Fortunately for me, they identified me as the right person to come and serve their youth. So I started thinking about it. I, I had some of the things I needed. I was saying, is there anything I'm lacking that I'm going to need to get ready for this ministry position? Well, one of my best friends at the time was the son of an African Methodist Episcopal minister, and he himself was preparing to become an African Methodist Episcopal minister. He says, I've got to take you to Lenox Square Mall. They have what you need. Any of you know what Lenox Square Mall is? Some of you do. In Atlanta, this is one of those malls where it's not uncommon to see celebrities there, professional athletes, actors. And he took me to Brooks Brothers. He said, you're lacking a suit. You're going to need a suit if you're going to be working in the church. And so lo and behold, a Brooks Brothers suit. I obtained what I needed. I was lacking a suit. I was going to need this to work in ministry. So the first day that I arrived at the church in my new Brooks Brothers suit, I was modeling it. And Dr. McKenzie wasn't taking notice. We'd arrived early. He was in his office, and I kept thinking, surely he's going to say something about my beautiful suit. He didn't say anything. And then I arrived in the room where the youth were gathered, and I was surprised to discover that I had one youth member, just one, but surely the youth member would notice my suit. <laughs> Not a word. Finally, as the service was coming to an end, and I had walked to the back of the chapel where they gathered, I was standing there with Dr. McKenzie, and I said, how do you like my new suit? This is my new. He said, oh, Jacob, that is beautiful. Such a nice suit. Well, as people filed out, there was a man who came around the corner. And he approached Dr. McKenzie and whispered something in his ear. And he said, we'll be there in just a few moments. Give us just a few moments and we'll be there. This particular Methodist church was in one of those neighborhoods that had changed over time. It was once a thriving neighborhood with children playing and riding bicycles and enjoying a flourishing life, but had seen some economic change in homes that once had beautiful windows were boarded over. Dr. McKenzie went on to share with me that this, this particular person didn't have life's basic necessities, that he needed food. So we went to the closing, the clothing closet as well as the food pantry and he began to put some things in boxes, and I wanted to grab one of the boxes and put some non-perishable items in it. He said, oh, no, 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 no. We won't want anything to happen to your suit. <laughs> I was beginning to wonder, was a suit something? I don't know about this. I don't know. So we walked out of the education wing, and I said, now, where are we going? He said, it's just right around the corner. In fact, you can see it. You can see where... He lives, and I said, okay, great. So I was carrying the box and started walking. He said, where are you going? Where, where are you going? I said, well, I'm walking 
this box to him. And he said, let's drive over there. I mean, it was just right there. It, it would have made more sense just to walk it over there. He said, we don't want to bring attention to this person's need. When we got to the home, we approached the steps and the porch that was unsafe at best. And when we entered in, there were actual holes in the floor. You could see the ground in this home. And there was the smell of kerosene. It was January. The smell of kerosene and all of his belongings were in this one room. I was beginning to realize that what I needed if I were going to be a minister wasn't so much about a Brooks Brothers suit. It's about the appreciation of human dignity and the great needs in the world. It wasn't about me at all and what I was wearing. I learned not too long after that that I also lacked the evidence of the Holy Spirit that comes through speaking in tongues. Did you know that? I was invited to a megachurch. By megachurch, I mean there were 10,000 people in attendance. And at the end of this service, there was an invitation that was given to be born again, to give your life to Jesus. The other one was to rededicate your life in case you had wandered away from your faith. The other one was to join the church, to become a member of that large church. The other one was to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And I realized, I don't speak in tongues. Maybe I lack the Holy Spirit. So I decided I was going to fast. This time it was a spiritual fast. It really was. This wasn't vanity. It was a spiritual fast. Three full days into this fast, I had eaten nothing. I'd only had water to drink. I was invited by a friend to the King Center for Nonviolence. I was sitting in the historical Ebenezer Baptist Church. And the drum major instinct was playing on the loudspeakers in that sanctuary. It was Dr. King talking about how there's greatness in all of us. But that our greatness won't be measured by what it was that we acquired. It won't be the credentials that we can list behind our names. It'll be service to humanity. Creating a world where every person is seen as the child of God that every person is. And it changed the trajectory of what I thought it meant to be a minister. It was a few years later that I relocated to Denver, Colorado because there was a unique program there with a concentration in religion and social change. And the person who founded that particular concentration was none other than Vincent Harding. Vincent Harding was a close personal friend of Martin Luther King. He even wrote some of his speeches the first draft because he knew Dr. King so well. In fact, he wrote the first draft of the Beyond Vietnam speech. I'd never met Dr. Harding. 
Dr. Harding was presenting to a group of people where it was not even standing room. They were, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, students were under table sitting so they could hear what Dr. Harding had to say. And when he took questions, I raised my hand. I said, Dr. Harding, I've been studying Dr. King for several years now. I wrote my undergraduate thesis on Dr. King. During my master's studies, I studied with a professor who literally wrote the book on Dr. King's theology, King Among the Theologians. But I have a question. Reinhold Niebuhr said that once the proletariat, once they have more to lose than the chains that once held them in bondage, they become the most ardent defenders of the status quo. In other words, once those who were oppressed by a system are liberated into the system, they become the defenders of the oppressive system that once kept them in bondage. And in King's life in 1967, when he delivered that speech that you wrote the first draft of, popular opinion turned on him. Over 80% of white Americans disapproved of his leadership and over 50% of the African-American community disapproved of his leadership. Is there liberation if one is liberated and becomes complicit in a system of oppression? Dr. Harding paused for what seemed like an eternity. He said, I'm going to trust that you and I are brothers. But you need to be very careful as a white man asking a black man that question. I wanted to crawl under the table. I felt my ears burning. My face the pressure. I had never been more humiliated in my life. And when I left, I left probably like the person with the possessions left. Stignazo. The NRSV this morning translated it, he was shocked. Other translations say he was sad. But when that same word is translated in different contexts, one is describing the weather as threatening. Something about that conversation was threatening. Another translation is appalling. Something about that conversation was appalling. And I can tell you, as I reflected on my conversation with Dr. Harding, I was threatened and I was appalled. Doesn't he know I moved my family my only child at that time who was still a baby from Atlanta to Denver? Doesn't he know we moved into Section 8 housing? Doesn't he know there are people sitting on the steps outside drinking out of brown paper bags? Doesn't he know that a bullet went through a neighboring apartment and shattered a mirror? I have uprooted my life to come Learn about how religion can foster positive transformation rather than be complicit 
and systems that oppress and hurt people. Finally, I said right out loud as these thoughts were going through my head, I said it right out loud. I don't have to do this anymore. And then that echoed back to me. You don't have to do this anymore. There are people who will never be able to make that statement. You have options in this life. You can go do whatever you want to do. But there are people who are not so fortunate. And that's when I knew the meaning of my privilege. What I lacked up until that point was an awareness and the commitment to follow the way of Jesus. I thought about this person with many possessions a lot this week. It's a nearly impossible passage, isn't it? What are we to do with this? I can imagine that he walked away threatened, appalled, sad, grieving, all of that. Emotions probably that he couldn't even quite identify. But I wonder if as time went on, he began to reflect about what it was that he was lacking. What was he really lacking? One thing you lack, what was he really lacking? Was it that his possessions had come to mean that he was a somebody? Was it that he had worked hard? He played by the rules. With respect to the law, he'd kept all the rules his whole life since his youth. He deserved what he had. Maybe he considered that if he followed Jesus, he would be associated with some of those people that Jesus hung out with, a tax collector, one of their own who was exploiting them on behalf of the enemy. That's even worse than the enemy. I don't want to be associated with him. If I follow Jesus, I'm going to be associated with him. People will associate me Why were those disciples so perplexed? And who can get in? Because in Hebrew sacred scripture, the wisdom tradition taught that you work hard if you get up early, if you're industrious, if you're disciplined, you'll prosper. And they believed that the rich were closer to God. In fact, if it weren't for them, they couldn't have church, they couldn't have temple. They funded these things. If the somebodies can't get into the kingdom of heaven, what hope is there for us? We're nobodies. A mistake that both the disciples and the wealthy person had made is that we're all somebodies. We are all somebodies there is no person you will ever 
look into the eyes of who is not a child of God. Which means that person is a someone. We can't earn our way into the kingdom of heaven. We can't merit it. It's ours. It is a gift. I invite you to look at the cover of your bulletins, if you will. Earlier in this week, before I had a title, Rachel asked me, what is the vibe of your message this week? What is the vibe? I thought, now that's a great question. I've never heard that question before. What's the vibe? I shared with her a little bit about it, and she captured it beautifully. A party of ones. Paul says there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. I think it's safe to say no Protestant or Catholic. I realize I'm new and I may have an inbox full tomorrow. There's neither Muslim nor Hindu. We are all children of God. We are all welcome to the party. The party where there's enough for everyone. Where the wine never runs out. Where everyone, regardless of the tone of their skin or who they love, everyone is recognized as the child of God they are. It's a party of ones. We're all ones and we get it. The kingdom of heaven is actualized on earth when we do the will of God. That's what we pray each week. Not one of us has fully entered into the kingdom of heaven. We all still lack something, some things. But during this Lenten journey, we have the opportunity to ask ourselves, what's one thing I lack? What am I holding on to? Am I holding on to something I haven't forgiven myself for way back there, which makes me feel unworthy? You're worthy because God loves you. God doesn't love you because you're worthy. You're worthy because God loves you. Let it go. Are you worried about how other people will perceive you if you identify with the ones Jesus identified with? Trust God with whatever it is. My prayer for me this morning is that God will show me anything I'm lacking that's preventing me from seeing myself and others as God sees us with the infinite and unconditional love that God has for every one of us. That is my prayer for me. I hope that's your prayer for you. I hope that's the prayer of all of God's children. Amen.
Oh, friends, as we start this journey together, let, let's all just take one big collective deep breath and center ourselves here this morning together. I invite you all to start our prayers this morning uh, to think inside. If there are folks who are weighing heavy on your heart, who you are thinking about, who are in much need of prayer and healing and comfort, Let's take a moment to offer our prayers up to God for those people. If you would like to shout somebody's name out so that we all may know in collective prayer to pray for that person, please feel free. If you would like this just to be a personal moment between you and God, that is awesome as well. Let's just take a moment together to lift up our prayers. Gracious and loving God, as we begin this journey with you through the Lenten season, we understand that your journey will be filled with grief and darkness, but we know that your love for us will propel you onward. We ask you, Lord, that you help us to understand just how powerful that love is for us that you would go through what you will be going through, all as a gift to us. Lord, we ask that our worship here for you be unending during this journey. May our love for you find new depths and new heights. May this season for us bring new hope, and may it bring healing to those of us who are so, so, so in need. Allow us to feel the resurrection this season, Lord, spring up from the ground around us and allow us to be surprised by the joy and the care and the comfort that is in it. Lord, we ask all these things in your name as we pray together the prayer that was taught to us by Jesus the Christ. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. For our last song, I would ask again, if you are willing, if you are able to rise and let us all have one last big amen together.
of human dignity. If we all start our Lenten journey there, can you imagine where we might be able to end? Go in peace, my friends, and may the grace and love of God be with you now and always. Amen. Amen.